You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we watch the Watchmen and it's terrible racial pandering i i could say more and i'm sure i will later you know how i operate on here it'll probably flare up at some point and then daniel and william will put some cream on it or something i don't know you, you know you know the way it works around here i'm your host justin m Lesneski, and since you know how it works you know that we are coming up on the end of the year we are coming up on our yearly finale which means we give out our yearly awards which means we need your input so if you could kindly go to the midside.com slash awards or the midside.com slash podcast and click on that awards post, you can nominate for awards like uh, the Romantic Manifestation, the Zack Snyder Awesomeness Award, and you can vote on the Peak Farce Award, which is given by you, the audience. So if you go to the midside.com slash awards or the midside.com slash podcast, please, please help us give our year-end awards out. Joining me this trip from our nation's capital, Daniel T. Richards. Making his triumphant return from Dallas, Texas, hanging out with Midsiders Amber and Frank at a Christmas party, having lots of fun Midside conversation, so much so that it starts to get a little weird for me when I'm like, oh yeah, we did talk about that, and they have intimate details of all the things we talked about on the show, and I'm like, oh... Right. People are listening to this, like actively listening to this, like digesting this, like thinking about it and then uh, saying it back to me. So it weirds me out a little. But uh, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. And thanks for hosting us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that happened to me with a coworker who drove up to the Bay Area with his girlfriend for Thanksgiving. And then he came back and he started talking to me about my Mandalorian review. And I was like, what? Like, you you paid attention to that? <laughs> People listen to me? You know what was bad about it for me in particular was I would start to tell these stories and they would go, yeah, yeah, I heard it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> See, part of the reason I started this is I had no one who would listen to my stories, so I don't have to retell them. For you who have people who listen to your stories, that's a problem. Oh, it's rough. It's a rough life having fans. Also joining us from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forego his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, exciting weekend here. I was dog-sitting um, for my business partner and his fiance, and um, got the Christmas tree up and really uh, wearing a Christmas sweater. So soon we'll have to do the uh, live stream to YouTube so we can share these sort of things. But... Yeah, only one more week of work for me before uh, Christmas vacation, so I'm really uh, getting excited for the uh, snowless season that is Christmas in L.A. <laughs> Are you like Ebenezer Scrooge with your employees at the store where you're just like, keep making sandwiches, I don't <laughs> care if it's Christmas? <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that. We usually have a holiday party, but since we are only three months from opening, we have no money. 
for a holiday party this year. So <laughs> uh, I think everyone's getting uh, Starbucks gift cards, probably. <laughs> More ham and Swiss. Go. Would yeah, it be better just yeah, to give them Swiss. gift cards to your store? <laughs> well, we uh, unlike um, other restaurants uh, in the area, uh, we offer free meals for people who work shifts so they already get free meals so i don't think a gift card would be as as cool as a starbucks one are you advertising Here's... for people to apply to work for you right now i mean that's a pretty good plug i uh, we are hiring I'm... right now so wow. i need a part-time mm -hmm. job all right i'm going to long beach <laughs> but speaking of going places uh you're talking about no snow in southern california there's also no snow in florida but i discovered Via social media, don't ask me how, there was a random meme post that uh, that put their location as downtown celebration. So I clicked on that, and I looked at their story. Celebration in Florida from after Thanksgiving to before the new year has nightly fake snowfall. <laughs> of course they do. Of course this, they do. This is the, the Disney town has nightly fake snowfall. Of course this, they do. They're not owned by Disney anymore, nor are they associated with Disney anymore. <laughs> this sounds like the greatest place in America. That's all I'm saying. There are places with real snow. Yeah, but then I have to deal into. with the real consequences. Instead, I can just pretend it's <laughs> when it's falling. The best part of snow is when it's falling. So if I get the falling without the rest of it, that's that's the best part. Yeah. And then I can, uh, you're going to find out 10 years from now, though, it's actually made of asbestos particles. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Do we really want to be alive in 10 years with the way things are going? Yes. Shut it up. Causes, I love it. it. <laughs> it's linked to autism and social justice. <laughs> no, anything. Anything but that. Give me cancer. Speaking of giving me cancer, let's talk about the news stories this week, huh? It's time mm. for the news <laughs> Daniel T. Richards. Well, I assure you, Mr. Listener, it really is that bad. These aren't harmless criminals. This isn't just a fad. Well, if you're into the news with me or the stuff with Justin, whatever he does on the show, I forget. I blank out every single time. Go to patreon.com slash the midside and support us. Throw us a couple bucks every time we produce one of these things. It helps us keep the lights on. And where we're going, you will not need lights. Uh, but we will. As we shine a light on the social justice nonsense of the week here in the news. Oh, so I thought, I thought we were going to the back of the closet, so we definitely needed a light. <laughs> well, no. In fact, we're throwing the closet doors wide open uh, as this New York Times style magazine article explains quote how today's queer artists are revising history end quote the subtitle is by revisiting and refuting the cultural history of the west this group is using time as its primary medium looking backward to inform a different kind of gay future wait wait wait, wait, wait. did the gays invent time travel william <laughs> did, did you guys invent time travel well as someone who has checked my gay privilege i'm not sure i'm at liberty to disclose but god damn it this is all confusing it 
if you are this confused by that confused. combination of words, then uh, you are not the only one. Because I started reading the article and it took me a while, man. It is a long article. But it's basically this. There are several artists who, I don't know if they want to be called gay artists, queer artists, or however they identify artists. They're definitely queer artists, and we'll get into that in a bit. Okay. Thank you, William. That sounds like a William um, thing. But basically what's going on is they're taking, they're appropriating, to use language from the article, imagery, uh, places, times from the past, and they're putting, again, I don't even know what language is, queer people, gay people into them. So for instance, uh, one of them is, photo. one of the artists is photoshopping uh, photographs by Russell Lee from the Farm Security Administration in 1914, 1940, sorry, and taking out the male-female couples and putting in two women. And in fact, took an entire town of people who were, tra- who were quote, traditional gender roles and pairings, end quote, and replaced them with all women who also have children and, and other things. Um, in another piece of art, there was an original photograph commissioned by T, just the letter T, uh, Sesame Street must be so proud, that draws on themes of queer love and desire by subverting the style of classical Renaissance paintings. So they have that going for them. Uh, And the whole idea here, I guess, is to put gay people throughout history and basically change the past in order to get to a new future uh justin did i do justice in summarizing what the hell this article is about i don't know if it's possible to do justice in this case since you are a straight man and this has to do with (laughs) queers or gays or something did i do social justice in (laughs) i don't know (laughs) summarizing this article i don't know how you how you feel that but i do know that this makes me think of something from the watchman tv series and i'm getting a flare up (laughs) get the cream all right, get the cream ready, guys. Get the cream. So do you remember how in Watchmen they were actually the second group of masked heroes and the first group was called the Minutemen? Uh, kind of, yes. Right. I, that sounds vaguely familiar. And the original superhero in the Minutemen was called Hooded Justice. He was the first masked superhero in the Watchmen universe. You remember all of that? And he wore the hood and he wore like the, the noose around his neck. I vaguely remember this, yes. Okay, so in the Watchmen series, can you guess what they made him? They revealed his identity, and can they? Can you guess what they made him? I'm not even going Queer. to guess for fear that I will uh, marginalize some peoples. <laughs> so, William, uh, I don't know what that word means, uh, so I'm just going to say uh, homosexual. Yes, they made him a, a homosexual, a gay black man. Okay. Uh, this is the what I don't understand, right? So first of all, this entire show is doing what this article is talking about, where it's just it's 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 obsessing over race for for what fucking reason? For what reason? What reason? They never establish in the show why they're why they're dealing with race, right? But in this specific instance, and in regards to this article, what blows my fucking mind, and this is what I don't understand, Daniel. And I, I'm sure this is what they're trying to do. I'm sure they're trying to create cognitive dissonance, and it feels like it feels like gaslighting to me. It's like they're trying to rewrite history to show 
that these quote-unquote oppressed groups were more prevalent and influential than we're led to believe they were. Now, I understand that in reality, a lot of these groups got shit on, and so people who contributed probably didn't have their contributions recognized. And yes, that is a travesty, and that is an injustice. But they're rewriting it to the point to make them seem more influential than they actually were. It's like they're course correcting and they're going back and they're over fucking doing it and they're over representing them. And then that's also creating a fictional view of reality. And it's really starting to annoy me. Okay. <laughs> like what I get in the show that they're hyper focused on race, right? I get it. So making him a black guy was like, okay, I get it. All right. That makes sense. But then Captain Metropolis comes and meets him, and Captain Metropolis is this blonde hair, blue-eyed guy, and he comes to the guy's house with his wife and his children there, and they all start talking. He's like, can you get Hooded Justice to join the Minutemen? And then they like look at each other, and I sh they share a moment. I go, oh my god, they're going to make him gay. And then the next episode, the next episode, the next scene, because it's HBO, they show them fucking. And it's like, really? <laughs> this is the point we're at now? This is 2019? And it's the same thing as this article. Look, make new art. Make your own art. Show what we've been missing. If you have something to contribute, show me what you've been missing. I want to. I want to see it. I want to see what we've been missing. But they are, Justin. They are. And I'll get into that. They are. They're doing okay, it. Okay, William, take it from here because my point is clear at this point. All right. Well, first, I have a nitpick with the author. I mean, right at the beginning here, he talks about how the um, the women that they photoshopped into the uh, farm couple, the famous uh, uh, photograph from the uh, what was it, the Farm Security Bureau? They said, quote, as lesbians, they somehow look so much happier, like they're getting some on the regular. That is clearly false. Every lesbian couple I know they stop having sex like after the first week, you know, they move in after the first day and then they stop having sex at the first week. So that's the first nit nitpick I have. And as a woman, I can say this. Um, well, I, actually, William, just to, to back up what you're saying, <laughs> Bill Burr, I don't know if this bit will ever become a main bit, but I saw him like trying out material recently in LA. I saw it the night before Thanksgiving and he actually made a joke. He had a whole bit about that whole thing about lesbian relationships. And he's like, we really need straight dudes and whoever the man is, whoever has the male role in lesbian relationships to start teaming up. Because if you ever wonder why lesbians are so angry and white men are so angry, it's because they're going through the same shit. And it's <laughs> exactly what you just said. It is. <laughs> so here's the thing. So first of all, we have to talk about the word queer and why you should always have your antenna up when you hear people using it. So queer queer started out fairly innocuous um but it has been sort of taken over to mean a specific thing so well, to be fair queer used to meant like that dude's just a little odd right yeah it's like it's like that's a little queer He's and it a used to be a code word for gay right <laughs> um but it means something specific now in the far left queer folk folk who really identify with this label which is not everyone um, they feel they take that whole part of social justice where everything is political and they take it 
incredibly seriously. Everything is a power struggle. Everything is political. Um, they feel like uh, someone like uh, me, who is gay and not down with the cause, is not gay. We're we're not queer. We're not we're not uh, we're a traitor, right? The equivalent of it's a like gay being Uncle a race Tom. traitor. It's like yeah. being a race traitor. Yep. If I don't buy all of the social justice, gay, all that shit, all the all the uh, gay privilege shit, uh, then then you're you're an enemy of the of your people. So with that context in mind, this is uh, a clear attempt at the destruction of of art, right? Um, you know, art can have a political message, and it's clear here what they're trying to do. They are trying to erase history, right? They are trying to rewrite history. They want people to believe that there was queers in the past, and queers to them mean this political cause, right? This this um, very communistic slash socialistic slash Marxist cause, and um. I don't think their goal, Justin, to what you said, is to make good art, right? Like to make objectively good art. It's to uh, to play what if with history in a very strange way to rewrite the narrative of what it meant to be gay in the past, which is crazy, right? Because there's a there's a ton of history, um, you know, going back to the beginning of history about. Um, how sexuality has evolved and how different societies treat it. But if we're just going to erase all that, we're also erasing the uh, the oppression, if you want to put it in their language, of the past as well, which is pretty crazy, right? But it fits in with this power struggle negative uh, narrative, right? They see they see that picture of the uh, town square dancing as oppressive. So therefore, they will fix it with Photoshop, and now it's fixed. Hmm. Does that make sense? You put it that way, it's very. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> In weird way, they they have a weird Venn diagram with ISIS. It feels like I think it's like these things that offend us, we're going to tear Daniel. them down. I know this is a theme. Um, this has been the theme of 2019 for me. I grew up in a strict Southern Baptist church when I was very young. And it's the same tactics. It's the same uh, yeah. behaviors. And to me, I have a visceral reaction to it, right? I have to constantly check my privilege and uh, not just fly off the handle on these things because it's so clear to me. I rejected this in my youth coming from the religious direction. And now I'm having to be uh, having to reject it from folks who should be uh, who I should have a community with, right? Hmm. That is a very powerful sentiment. Justin, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but I do not because, uh, holy hell. I mean, I don't really think I have something to add because I think it's really William's point to speak. And I think he said it very well. It is making me reflect on my discomfort with the entire Watchmen series though. And I think he's really hit on something as so far as what I was saying. I mean, I, I haven't come fully to grips with it yet, but it, I think what he really hit on and William, maybe you can expand on this a little bit, but what I was saying about the gaslighting, it's almost like 
I'm the world right now is trying to convince me or segments of the world segments of the culture are trying to convince me that the world I grew up in wasn't real that it was all an illusion yeah, yeah. I think we're and, trying to destroy the past I mean wow does this connect with the confederate mom, moderate uh, uh, monument stuff too right this is uh, I feel like that meme the it's all connected meme right like this is all connected <laughs> this 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 destroying and rewriting of the past um or completely uh, the past is a weapon to folks not just queer but other social justice past is a weapon to them right it's all about power so if if the past can be rewritten and in this case to gaslight and shove it in the faces of people who are uncomfortable with this like if, if you say hey that's just that's just uncomfortable looking right like having that having an having a <laughs> A clearly historical picture made of a bunch of square dancing women with kids running around just makes you uncomfortable. Like, well, where did the kids come clearly, from? Yeah, exactly. That's well, that's your uh, your homophobia, right? I guess yeah, that's your heteronormative assumption of the way reproduction <laughs> operates, Daniel. Yeah, I can I do that. Look, I can talk this language. I think that's biology's homophobia, but maybe I'm wrong. Um. It is very interesting to me how the secular religionists, using that those two contrary terms on purpose, basically those who worship the state, let's go with communists, Nazis, uh, social justice warriors, folks like this, that they they actually all get one interesting thing about culture, which is how important art is to how important art is as a weapon to use the phraseology you used William. Um, and it, and they are shockingly good at it in their own weird way. Um, which is somewhat depressing. Uh, this was a, a, a point that Andrew Breitbart like liked to make all the time, which is that the people who nominally stand for reason tend to abandon art because they see it as inferior to reason in some way. When in fact it is it is the perfect complement, and it should be, uh, it should be a comrade. <laughs> to keep using fun terminologies, it should be a comrade in in this fight, and it should not be a lesser subordinate in it. So, and this might be a minor nitpick that I have, but when I look at art, um, and I actually read it, you know, like actually absorb it, and um, and really, you know. Um, uh connect to it the the particulars don't matter as much right you really connect to that emotion and then that abstraction it is the concrete that matters right but in this case you're connecting to those abstractions that are connected to that concrete this is a really complicated way of saying i don't need to see two dudes in love in a painting to feel the love from the painting right mm. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> now that goes the other way around, too. I would hope that others, if they saw a painting of two dudes in love and and it was done by a good artist, that they would feel that as well. Right. But there's something about this impulse to to redo all works and just have them all have LGBT couples in it that feels very separating. 
right? Like we're trying to draw a line and say, if anything's heteronormative, it's not as good or not as cool or not as hip as a homosexual or uh, transgender relationship. I don't know. Well, because it's it's what you're talking about, William, the, the tactic is destructive. It's not productive. It's not constructive. It's destructive. And what I mean by that is, and I'm going to use the term us here very intentionally, and they there very intentionally, even though I don't like to put in those groups, or maybe I just should just say I. Let me put it this way. The, the artist is forcing it upon me. And what I mean by that is, is they're taking a work of art that already exists, and they're telling me I must view it in this way that 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 they are saying I have to view it in. And everything you're saying hits on some very interesting ideas. It's the idea of uh, people only being able to read art concretely and not abstractly. Uh, it's the idea of how does that influence your psychology if you only look at things concretely and not abstractly. And then what you said is hopefully two straight people could see two you know, homosexual people, two queer people, whatever term we're going to use in love in a painting and also feel the emotion. Well, speaking from the perspective of myself where you can't divorce from context, what I end up feeling more often than not is this is being forced on me. And that's what I'm talking about with the Watchmen series. I couldn't get behind, I guess, poor choice of words. I couldn't support emotionally the hooded justice character, William Reeves, because first of all, I was like, okay, they made him black, whatever. But then to also make him gay, all, immediately I just get defensive and I'm like, this fucking shit again? Because I can't divorce from the context of what's going on in the culture of it being forced on me. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they actually defeat their own purpose. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, uh, it's I'll let you question. go, Daniel, but it's because, yeah, let's be honest, LGBT folks are a small percent of the population and we're way over like okay you might say the same thing about beautiful people right you can say well beautiful people are a small percent of the of the uh, population but when we use beautiful people in art it's because we're stylizing it right we're making a choice here we're showing um men and women as they should be or could be right and yeah you could have a you know, you can have homosexual characters, homosexual depictions. Like these are all great, right? Like I would, I would love a nice, uh, uh, you know, male figure in a uh, sculpture in my house, right? That would be, that would, that would be cool. But <laughs> when you're, when you're making that stylistic choice, it has to integrate with the theme of the art that you're looking at. And when it doesn't, Justin, that's what you're responding to. You're like, why is this either it doesn't integrate with the theme or you start asking why is this theme here right how does this make the art better or or connect me more to it right or even more to the point what is the purpose in even making this art okay i understand you're doing this kind of an idea like i said it's 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 all racial in the new watchman series but why are you doing this what is the purpose of even doing this what point are you trying to choose you're trying to make and that's where i'm telling you it 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 feels more like they're forcing it on us than anything they're trying to say as you said this group that's very minor very minor numbers wise wasn't represented at all so now we're going to over represent them to make it seem like they had more of an influence on society 
Daniel, what were you going to say? I don't know. Okay. Let's just well, move forward. Say, uh, no, Quick I plug yeah. uh, then. Uh, not spon- hashtag not sponsored. If you're interested in how to read paintings and sculpture, uh, Luke Travelers uh, has a great book called Touching the Art. Um, and he gives like art tours occasionally at different museums and stuff. It's great. If you've never been to one, it's awesome. It's not about Uh, a person named art, right? No, you don't actually (laughs) touch them. But Luke Travers is who you want to follow on Twitter. My quick point was going to be that it, it, there could be, I think an, an entire show about the question you raised William about seeing love, for instance, when, when two men are in a painting versus a man and a woman or two women or however you want to put it, because I think that's a deeply fascinating question that actually probably can't be divorced from cultural context in some sense, at least the way I'm thinking about it. And uh, I want you to bookmark that because that's a phenomenally fascinating question that I doubt anyone else in the entire world is talking about right now. Yeah, Other we should do a life the on the mid side at some point, and we should dig into that. I think we'd have an interesting conversation there. Yes, remember um, that for season bookmark. eight next for next season, season <laughs> yeah. eight. Remember that. Right. So uh, another thing we'll have a fascinating conversation about is reparations, as U.S. colleges mark a new front in uh, the story of reparations. So the promise of reparations to atone for historical ties to slavery has opened new territory in a reckoning at U.S. colleges, reports the Associated Press, which until now have responded with monuments, building name changes, and public apologies. But Georgetown University and two theological seminaries have announced funding commitments to benefit descendants of the enslaved people who were sold or toiled to benefit the institutions. While no other schools have gone so far, the advantages that institutions recede from the slavery economy are receiving new attention, as Democratic presidential candidates talk about tax credits and other subsidies that nudge the idea of reparations toward the mainstream. University uh, of Buffalo senior Jeffrey Clinton said he thinks campuses should acknowledge historical ties to slavery, but that the federal government should take the lead on an issue. He says, quote, it doesn't have to be trillions of dollars, you know, just billions. Uh, but at least address the inequities and attack the racial wealth gap between African-Americans and white Americans and really everybody else, because this is an American-made institution. We didn't immigrate here, said Clinton. Wait, he is slavery a was slaves. an American-made institution? <laughs> yeah, I was confused about that. Was he referring to, like, the, the school? Is the or American reparation, this concept of reparations. Is that yeah, it's American? very confusing. Okay. Maybe, maybe this guy does need reparations so he can go to college for longer. <laughs> uh, side note, well, not side note, but uh, addendum here, Justin. A majority of Georgetown undergraduates voted in April for a non-binding referendum to pay a $27.20 per semester reconciliation contribution toward projects in underprivileged, community, in underprivileged communities that are home to some descendants of 272 slaves who were sold in 1838 to help pay off the school's debts. So, Justin, leaving the Buffalo, University of Buffalo students' insistence of the federal government be involved here, when we're talking about reparations, are these private entities doing it in some way better than the federal government doing it? 
Well, it's obviously better if they do it because it's their own money and their own institution, so they can do whatever the fuck they want. So that's freedom working at that point. Like, you can do whatever you want. You're a private institution. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with these schools uh, doing that. Now, is it the right thing to do? Is it the moral thing to do? Is it the best thing to do? That's a fundamentally different question. But is it better than the... the um, federal government doing it the state government's doing it yeah 100% because they're private and they can do what they want with their money now as far as the students I love the students voting right so the students have voted that $27.50 is going to go every every semester uh, or every class unit no fake news Justin that's $27.20 <laughs> okay sorry they couldn't semester. round up to the 50 <laughs> They couldn't round down to twenty seven or twenty eight dollars or thirty dollars. Why? Why twenty seven twenty? Goddamn, Lock Monster just won my three fifty. Like what? Why twenty seven twenty? Like it's it's not even one of the numbers from Wait, Lost. Was that people. racially insensitive? I don't know. <laughs> I've gone off the rails, William. I don't know what is or is anything anymore. It's literally the end of twenty nineteen, and Watchmen has like it's destroyed my ability to think racially anymore. Just everything is racist and not racist anymore. But uh, um. Schrodinger's I racism. <laughs> I, I love how uh, that's the name of the episode, the Schrodinger's racism edition. Uh, um, You're welcome. Twenty-seven twenty. They voted to give twenty-seven twenty every semester, right? Yes. So essentially, they voted for their parents or whoever is paying their student loan to give twenty-seven twenty every semester. They've literally <laughs> voted for other people's money. This isn't even like taxation where they're like, we're going to vote taxes higher on ourselves. So it's a percentage of our own. It's literally voting what to do with other people's money. Yeah. <laughs> now, as far as the, the, the school doing reparations, I, I raised the question of, you know, how do you measure this? And what I mean by that is, no one's going to argue that real harm was done, right? Bringing people over here and building institutions on their back. But, but how far do we go with reparations? And I'm going to give an extreme example on purpose. Uh, the pyramids were supposedly built by slaves, correct? So do we take uh, each of those blocks? <laughs> was it aliens? Don't tell me it was aliens. According to Stark, they may have been, know how they, they were built, may have been and they paid were built by slaves. In some ways, it's it's. I'll we'll concede your point just for the sake of your point, but it's um, it's contested at the at this juncture. Okay, well, whether it was the the, the gold, whether it was slaves, whether they were paid, we're going to pretend it was slaves. Okay. Okay. So they uh they built the pyramids. Are we supposed to trace all their descendants and give them a piece of the pyramid, like tear it down and give them a piece? Like, how, first of all, how do you undo it? Like, how do you make it right? And how, second of all, how do you measure the amount of harm and how the amount of harm traveled through history? It just seems it's it just seems more feelings based than it does reality based. I have a better question, Justin. What if okay. you are what if you did your genealogy and you have both slave owners and slaves in your genealogy? What do you do then? Yikes. Do you pay I mean, I yourself? Think you get into, I think you get into sadomasochism is what I think happens. I, what? <laughs> this is 2019, This was actually done right? in the Watchmen. No, hold on. This was done in the Watchmen TV series. Okay? Hold on. So the whole thing is set in Tulsa because, you know, they had those Tulsa race, the Tulsa race riot in like 1921 or whatever it was. And sure. they have, though, that was a real thing. Look it up. Okay. I Googled it like 
10 people died or something and it's like the entire premise of the show but don't get me started 10 people died entire premise of the show i think we should do a show about the boston massacre guys boston massacre i want my reparations for the boston massacre anyway i'm starting to sound like trump here uh, um, <laughs> oh my god but in the in the show they have these things called red predations where the president, Robert Redford, has made it so people get reparations. And you go into centers where you literally give them your DNA and they test it and they find your genealogy. And based upon your genealogy, they tell you if you're eligible for the, these red predations and they tell you your entire family tree. But this is what I don't understand. The genealogy center is only for black people and it's only about black history. Can someone explain to me why you would just not have a whole genealogy center for everybody in the country or in the city of Tulsa to check their genealogy so you can classify everyone and figure out what the fuck's going on and redistribute it? Robert Redford's the president in Watchmen? Yeah. That's all I got out of that. <laughs> it's like a send-up of Ronald Reagan, I think. I don't know. It's. I, I still haven't heard the... an answer to the question of why in 2019 <laughs> are we doing this whole sins of the father thing? Like That's what I'm asking. This, it this doesn't make school, sense to me. All these schools, not, not a single person is there working there that was even alive when this stuff was happening. Why are you punishing someone who has no volitional control over that thing? It doesn't make any sense. That's the ultimate moral point, right? Which is you you can you can even I mean you can concede basically every core premise about inequality and destruction and didn't get a fair start and all those things and, and you can believe those things and, and heck I probably believe most of those things in in a certain context. But the question about then moral responsibility for those things I mean, we don't, there is no other crime where we punish the descendants of the criminal. And the reason is because we believe that moral culpability ends with the life of the person who committed the crime. And I understand that we have a continuous government that operates. And so that is maybe the quote unquote complicating factor. But that government is of the people. And those well, people hold on. are let's the people who committed the crime use of their slavery. Logic. I think all black people should pay Go extra use taxes by using um, that logic because the Union uh, fought a civil war over ending slavery. So they all should have to pay more. Every descendant of a freed slave, thanks to the civil war, should pay reparations. They should pay. All those people, oh. they, they weren't just black people that <laughs> died in the North, right? Here's right. another one, using the same logic. Uh, I think that we should have gay reparations. You know, society treated gay people like shit. I mean, hell, Texas had that sodomy law on its books until, what, 10 years ago? I think yeah. all gay, gay people... Reparations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Should should pay reparations, but this is going to be... Com- or get reparations, but this is going to be complicated because, guess what? My ancestors, as a, as a gay person, oppressed gay people. So this is going to be complicated. Mm. I need to pay and also be paid? That's right. I think Ted Bundy's daughter should atone to the families of the victims of her father. 
I mean, it's as legitimate of a claim as this, and that's maybe really insensitive or, or something. But wow, that's is it something insensitive on this that's show? How, no, I'm saying that the insensitive part is that that is as valid a claim as reparations. As yeah, that saying. that reaction um, that you get to how evil that black people should play reparations to the union thing is is exactly the feeling I get when people start talking about how, you know, U.S. citizens should pay reparations to black people. It's the same It's the same visceral reaction. Yeah. It's like, why? This is immoral. It's just wrong. Well, I get it. Yes, ultimately, totally. and William, you've already made this point, but I'm going to just reframe it in a different rhetorical context. When you're talking about moral culpability, the issue is we're looking at things collectivistically rather than individualistically. We're not looking at what each individual person has done. We're looking at it as this group is responsible for anything that any member of that group did. And then we're using that to do reductio ad absurdum with that. And that's the problem here is we're saying that, oh, well, slavery existed. Therefore, all white people in America are responsible for slavery that happened in the past. Oh, well, there was a riot in Tulsa. Well, they, they make it subtler. They make it subtler than that. They say you've enjoyed the benefits independent of your choice. Therefore, right. well, you should they pay try the cost. to frame it individualistically, yeah. but it's really collectivistic is what it is, because what the point I'm making is, is there's no way of measuring it individualistically because it's you've said it so elegantly. Look at yourself. You would have to literally, William, go through your past and look at the actions of all of the, the people from your past and create a ledger. And see what the ledger is in the plus or minus to figure out who, if you are owed money, who to pay, how much to punish yourself. And then you're going to have to go into confession and do 10 Hail Marys and five Our Fathers. Because that's <laughs> that was, really yeah. what this comes down to. It's Catholicism. <laughs> it's it original is. sin. Imagine, imagine all everyone who's, who identifies as queer, I think, should do this. They should find uh, older gay men and just pay them money. Because they paved the way for uh, all that's of not your. What's going to happen? Oh well, yeah. <laughs> services might be exchanged, but yeah, services. I mean, rendered, that's I think is like, what happened. These the 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 gay rights activists of the past all made it possible for us to have gay marriage. So shouldn't we be paying them reparations for their hard work? The uh, I look forward to Justin you writing a short story called The Ledger, which is sort of a uh, twenty twenty version of Harrison Bergeron in a certain sense. Um, yeah, I love, by the way, nobody knows that fucking story. So anyone out there, if you haven't read Harrison Bergeron, it's not long, go out there and read it and you will understand everything that's going on. I love making that reference and people are like, what are you talking about? How do you not know that story? How do you not know that story? Yes. Um, speaking of stories, the next story why don't we skip the next story? It's about LA high schools opening sexual mental health clinics. I feel like it's not a sexy story. What do you think? Fuck LA. That's right. <laughs> there, I said what I wanted but to say. But this next story, we can sink our teeth into. Uh, this is a, an essay, an article, a confession, something, uh, in The Week, from theweek.com, called Too Anxious to Press Play. And it begins like this. At first, I thought my brain was broken. Every time I had a spare evening, I would sit down in front of my TV, open Netflix, and be presented with an array of brilliant film and TV. <laughs> After 20 or 30 minutes of hemming and hawing, <laughs> I'd watch no, I, something... I paused on the word brilliant, too. I did. I was like, really? That's how we're framing yeah, this? Just, just note that one for later. 
Uh, after 20 or 30 minutes of hemming and hawing, I'd watched something I'd already seen before. Up until recently, I assumed I had so damaged my attention span with social media games and screens in general that I had lost the capacity to engage with anything remotely smart or interesting. And maybe that's true. But last week, I tweeted about my affliction, asking if anyone else had ever felt this strange aversion to starting a new movie or show, and the response was overwhelming. Even with the modest follower count, more than 100 people chimed in with similar experiences. It was fascinating. People... Uh, shared a variety of reasons for their aversion to pressing play, stress, anxiety, the content of most modern entertainment, a fear of missing out, or a fear of wasting time. It was a long list. So the author goes on to tie this to a uh, psychologist named Barry Schwartz, who talks about something called the tyranny of choice, which suggests that's suggest that abundant choice makes people miserable because it paralyzes them with too many options. And then he goes on to list all the options and how part of our culture nowadays is being able to talk the talk about shows like Succession, Watchmen, Trigger, The Mandalorian, Marriage Story, The Irishman, etc., 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 when why not just click on reruns of the great British baking show? So, Justin, I have to ask you, uh, first of all, have first question is, have you ever experienced what he's talking about, this this anxiousness about pressing play on something new? And two, is it because you're overwhelmed with the amount of choices, or is it something else? Uh, yes. Awesome. Let's end the show there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have felt that. In fact, I think I've talked about this before uh, on the show, where I actually started getting back into professional wrestling uh, because... Uh, it was just easier to watch. It was just easier to be like, okay, I'm going to watch this. I'm not going to have to deal with this. I'm not going to have to deal with keeping up. I'm going to not have to deal with talking to people about it. It's just that it's there. I know what it is. It's dependable. It's simple. I'm not going to be preached to the whole time. And, and it's there. So I started watching it again. And that's why I said yes, Daniel, because I don't think you can divorce all of those questions you asked. And I don't think you can divorce what this guy said about the brilliant content. The problem I have is there's so much content and I'm routinely told all of it is brilliant and then I, I must watch all of it that there's two problems. One, I don't know who to trust anymore as far as where good content is coming from. And two, I can't talk to anyone anymore because everybody's watching such a diversity of content that all conversation is out the window. It's literally the point that, like, I'm watching The Mandalorian, I mean, besides the fact that Bill Burr was on it, but just so I can talk to people because people are like, have you seen the new Mandalorian? And that's what people are watching. But this is what I don't understand, and this is the more fundamental question to me about all of this. How are people watching so much content? And what I mean by that is I feel like what is going on here is the whole idea of people in high school saying, oh, yeah, I got an A on that test without studying. Or, oh, yeah, I have an A in this class, but I haven't done homework. Or people pretending they're not studying and not doing homework to get the grades. I feel like people have to be pretending to watch these things. <laughs> because I just I don't have the time to watch all of these things. So what I actually had to do is I made a list recently. And I just said, fuck it. When someone tells me to watch something, I go, it's, I'll put it on the list. It's at the bottom of the list. And then I tell them my list. And then I tell them where I'm going to put it. And they stop talking to me about it. Because I got tired 
of <laughs> fucking constantly being told over and over again, watch this, watch this, watch that. Oh, this new thing is out. There's also a fetishization of the new here, right? Oh, this is the new thing that's out. You know, uh, Netflix dropped the whole series, so I'm going to binge watch it in two nights. No, there needs to be a focus on what your values are and what you think is good. It's, it's, it's now become more like food than it is like a cultural gathering point. So there's many things going on here as far as like <laughs> shifting where it's like, oh, this is what we're all watching. Now it's like, oh, well, what did you have for dinner? And like, I hate people who it's like, stop fucking posting on your Instagram what you ate. Like to me that it shows you are the most basic person with the least amount of personality. If you're just putting food on your Instagram the whole time. Well, you don't have anything fucking more interesting Justin, to I do in your this, life. You uh, wanted me to show you the choice of what you essentially ingested? experiencing um, the vomitorium version of content right now but right and it's the same thing yeah. with what are you watching what are you listening to because there's so much content out here now that it's literally just whatever your personal preference is so it's yeah. no longer a communal thing so we've moved past the communal and that's part of the problem because we're still trying to treat it as a communal thing but then also we're being convinced everything is brilliant where most of it's crap so you have to trust your own judgment and just make your own list and watch it. And you know what? Because I was able to make my own list and watch it, I was confident in what I was watching. And I finally was able to watch the Tom Brady interview, the Bill Belichick and Nick Saban documentary. I was able to watch Watchmen and have an opinion on it. And now I can move forward and finish Silicon Valley. And then I can watch Chernobyl because these are the things I've decided are valuable. Hmm. William, are you tyrannized by choice? No, <laughs> I wish All there right, was let's more end the choices. show there. I oh. think this is a, a, a great example of a false dichotomy. They talk about here, you know, and of course they uh, bring up uh, Immanuel Kant uh, because he made the argument that good work required effort to understand and that it needs critics to tease out its meaning. Um, here's the problem. We have the mindless entertainment and then we have wokeness, right? And we we miss out on the the middle, right? We we miss out the on the engaging content that can have deep themes that you can enjoy without having to be quote unquote challenged, right? And what I mean by quote unquote challenged is what they mean by challenged, which is having this political narrative that if you don't agree with something is morally wrong with you. Um I, you know, I've got lots of great shows that I'm watching right now. You know, The Expanse, of course, I binge watched this week, and hopefully we'll get a chance to review that soon. Um, there's uh, His Dark Materials, which seems to be going well on HBO. Um, and, you know, it, it, there's plenty of good stuff to watch. I wish there was more, of course. I wish there was more sci-fi to watch. But, yeah, you know what? I put on DS9 in the background while I'm doing other shit. I... I put on um, Stargate. I mean, Stargate. I can cycle through any time. I can pick any random episode and put it on if I'm if I'm looking to relax. Right. That's yeah. That's part of what bothered me about this. And then the other part is my own niche take. So the part that bothered me is he sets up this dichotomy of anxiety to watch new things, and then he says he noticed that he had lost his capacity to engage with anything remotely smart or interesting, meaning that the old things that he's watching are not smart or interesting, which is weird to me because my 
version of this, my niche version of this, is I, as I do have an aversion to new things, and it takes a lot for me to watch something new, one is because I, I don't get a ton of return on investment when people tell me to watch something new. I watch it, and I feel like this is utter garbage, and why have I wasted my time with this? And instead, and that's the, the, the smart and interesting part, I'll put on an episode of The West Wing, or an episode of Futurama, or, uh, you know, Bill Burr, or or something where I think it is smart and interesting, and that's why I keep going back to it. That's precisely why I keep watching it. Because the new stuff to me, a lot of it is not smart or interesting. It's either woke or it's uh, terrible for the most part. And it is the rare thing that catches my attention to say, wow, this actually nailed it. Like this did something interesting and new and it was smart and it wasn't woke. So that's kind of my problem with this. The anxiety comes from constant disappointment in, <laughs> in my adult life with, with new content. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. I mean, that was part of what I was saying in there is I do think the content is better before. I mean, random episodes of House have popped up on TV and I've watched them and I was like, wow, this is really fucking good. Do you? I watched an episode of The House the other day for the first time in maybe two years or something. Not because I, I don't like it. I sort of almost kind of forgot about it a certain way. And I, and I was just shocked at how well written and acted it was compared to the schlock that's put out on streaming services nowadays. All right, I'm having a flare-up. I'm having a flare-up. It's it's the same thing where I watch Watchmen, Daniel, and, like, <laughs> you probably you probably would have the same experience. I'm literally just like, they, that was that part of Lost. Oh, that was Room 23 and Lost. Oh, that was the Kate twist from Season 1 with the Sawyer twist from Season 6. It's like, it's all the same shit that was already done. It's just not done as well. And I even said it about this episode that Entertainment Weekly called... Uh, one of the best te 10 best television episodes of the year, the episode, this extraordinary being. And I watched it and I go, this is just the deep space nine episodes far beyond the stars, just not done anywhere near as well. And it made me just want to go back and watch far beyond the stars again. Not because I'm having anxiety about pressing play, but because it's like, why did I just waste my fucking time when I already saw this and already saw a better version of it? Yeah, Absolutely. And it's honestly gotten to the point where uh, we've now hit the point for me where, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I get out of Netflix anymore. I really, I mean, what I get out of Hulu is Bob's Burgers, and that's all we watch on Hulu now. Well, um, we can have that conversation because I've been dancing around having that conversation with you about Netflix. So <laughs> I am fairly open to the conversation about canceling Netflix because yeah, we may have that conversation. Hey, dis <laughs> disenchantment. Uh, or Disenchanted is a good show on Netflix, and now that that season it's, is done, I'm done. It's good, William, but it's I'd just rather go back and watch Futurama. I completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's I'm watching Disney Plus because of The Mandalorian and because of access to other Star Wars stuff, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just gonna go outside. You know what I want to do is I want to go forward to other parts of this podcast. Can we do that? Please. Let's do it in The Hope for Romantic with JML. Put me into syndication. Broadcast to a network station of people viewing their favorite episodes. I can't find a new pitch to throw the studio. I need a rerun. 
wasn't focused on. As I say every week, if you want to join in this conversation during the week, go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode and join our Discord channel. The link is in the episode uh, pages. Within that, you can find the link. Uh, this week for the review, I want to talk about Richard Jewell, the new Clint Eastwood movie. I'm just going to say it. I think this is a phenomenal movie. Uh, I teared up many times. I thought this was, was very, very enjoyable. And it really drives home a number of points to me and raises an interesting question that we sort of had, a, an interesting discussion that we sort of had with Sully. So this movie is about the 1996 bombing of Centennial Park in Atlanta for the Olympics where they had the concerts going on. And then Richard Jewell was a security guard who found the bomb and then later was accused by the media and the government of being the bomber because he quote unquote fit the profile. And the movie follows Richard Jewell at, you know, there's a little bit of exposition where you see him trying to become law enforcement and how much he wants to be law enforcement to him finding the bomb to him eventually learning to fight back against the government and fight back against the accusations against him and the media. And the first thing is it really shows the difference between theme and a motif and also consequential messages of a theme. So this is really, you know, the, the theme of this is showing what happened to Richard Jewell during these accusations. You know, the effects of the, the accusation on Richard Jewell, on, on his life. And in that, Richard Jewell has a line at the end where he says basically to the FBI, while you're in here accusing me of these things, what you're really doing is letting the other bomber get away, the real bomber get away, not the other, the real bomber get away. Obviously I'm paraphrasing here. And you're discouraging anyone from doing good in the future. Who's going to want to say they found a suspicious package. If you're going to accuse them of planning it. So you say you're protecting everyone, but what you're actually doing is the opposite. Now, the theme of the movie isn't how government doesn't protect us when they purport to. That's obviously a motif. It must be because they're purporting to protect the rights of Richard Jewell and they're not doing it. But the, that could be interpreted as the theme when it's not. It's a motif. The theme is the, you know, the effects on him psychologically, emotionally, uh, interpersonally. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. But then another question, Daniel, I have for you is remember in Sully where we discussed is this naturalistic or not? Yeah. Clint Eastwood has done this several I times do. now. Yes, I where he's that. taken real life stories and he's shown them, right? And he's stylized them. But he hasn't hyper stylized them in the way, you know, Snyder hyper stylized 300. He's stylized them and he's selected parts of them to show. So while there is, you know, focus on the choices that. Richard Jewell made, right? Like he made sure to show the choice of turning in the bomb and looking for the bomb and like being very vigilant. And, you know, really the choice is the big choice of the movie is the choice to fight back. And it was like everything else was fought or, or everything else was built around that. And I'm sort of talking through here and you can tell me what you think after this. Uh, much of the movie, though, was showing the systemic oppression, especially this movie, right? I think Sully was more like the systemic oppression as far as how people saw him and the media saw him. But this was really, you know, the systemic oppression in the sense that the government was against him and the media was against him. I mean, one of my favorite images in the movie is Richard Jewell's 
lawyer has a sticker in the back of his on the wall behind him when uh in his office when he's on the scene with Trujillo, you could see it he says i fear the government more than i fear terrorism which i was like wow that's in a major movie and i was like wait i thought clint eastwood was right wing not libertarian that's a very libertarian sentiment so to have that in there so I, w- I was thinking as I'm watching this, well, isn't that naturalistic to be more worried about the, the systems of oppression? But then it seems to be the focus is on that one choice. It always seems like Eastwood makes his movies about that one choice. And my question is, is that romantic enough that the one choice is Richard Jewell deciding to fight back to be romanticism? Or is it like largely a naturalistic movie? Because to me, when I watch it, it doesn't feel like naturalism. It feels like romanticism by an 80-year-old man. <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, obviously I'd have to see the movie, but I think if the question is about one choice, I, I think that's fine. I don't think romanticism requires... I don't think it requires sort of the epic sweeping grandness of things. Um it could be a small scale story about a person making a choice. Uh, if you think about um, some of what Ayn Rand classified, for instance, as good romantic literature, like Cal- what is it? William Calumet K. Was that the name of the book? Which is a very small scale yeah. story yeah. Um, that sort of reminds me of what you're talking about here. And maybe it's not the best romanticism, but it, gets the job done in the sense that it's satisfying and maybe that's what you're talking about yeah I, I think what it is daniel with what you're saying is i think it's it's mediating the old definition the traditional definition of romanticism with the i'm going to call it american romanticism and yeah. american romanticism is more focused on volition and individual choice because that is how america made things different, right? It was founded on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everyone can pursue happiness in their own way. It was based on the the age of reason, right? It was based on um, natural rights is the term I'm looking for. Whereas before, romanticism was very much linked with emotionalism, where it was what was exaggerated, what was emphasized was the emotional experience of life. Whereas we have a different understanding of life. And our different understanding of life is how we choose to deal with all of these things that are presented to us. So in that way, maybe Clint Eastwood is one of the most American filmmakers ever. Well, look at that. Not going to get that take anywhere else. No, definitely not. Not in today's age. I honestly, I thought it was one of the best movies, if not the best movie of the year. I'm not going to um, spoil because this is for the final episode but there's one other movie that it's either going to be this movie or the other one that's going to get the romantic manifestation award so maybe mm. this one so i would highly recommend seeing this movie i'm uh, glad to hear that because at this point i i was going to recommend not giving out the award this year but no yeah. it's this one so or ju- one other that you may not have seen go ahead william so justin i have a question i know there's been a ton of uh uh very upset people at the which which newspaper was it was it the atlanta journal i think it was the, they're called the atlanta constitution journal i believe yeah uh uh i know rush limbaugh used to call them the urinal constipation so atlanta urinal constipation um they're the ones who <laughs> did this story and the reporter is uh apparently depicted in this story 
Well, there's two things um, they are very upset about. Uh, the first was they had her using sex to get uh, some information, which they were very upset about because they said she never did that. And they don't like that they were impugned for journalistic um, ethics issues for how they reported on it. And uh, they, they seem to be really pushing back on that. So, Justin, does that matter? Or is that artistic license or what? Because a lot of people have been attacking Eastwood on, on that ground, saying, like, hey, this is not historically accurate. Well, that's the naturalistic discussion, right? I mean, I think that's the biggest argument about it not being naturalistic or not. I mean, but then we also about it being naturalistic, but then we also wade into a ground of, well, what really did happen, right? Because they're claiming it didn't happen. He's claiming it did. So is he trying to be naturalistic by having it happen? I think the, the greater discussion is thematically it, it, that's the, the point. That's what he's saying is, yeah, they did act unethically. If you think that she got raked over the coals, how the fuck did the federal agents look? Look at well, John see, Hamm's she's, character. She's dead and can't speak for herself. So so's Richard Jewell. I don't know. I, I'm I'm just pu- playing the straw man <laughs> argument because that's the argument they're they're putting out there. Yeah, to, I, just I under- to be a, a silly counter argument to it, which is that you know they're saying it never never she never did it. It never happened. There are incredible reports that she did engage in the behavior. So and we will never know. Um, Even if she didn't. I don't give a fuck, okay? This is Gamergate for the movies, all right? right. They don't want to... to, to the, the purpose of the story is... This is the purpose of the story. The purpose of the story is they illegitimately and irresponsibly damaged this man's life. John Hamm's character and Olivia Wilde's character got together and exchanged information inappropriately. She then published it inappropriately, Right. Because the accusation was even inappropriate because obviously he didn't do it and they didn't have a good case, but they needed to frame somebody. So they framed somebody. So that was the irresponsible thing. They even showed John Hamm agreeing to the theory in a meeting when it's not a good it's not a good theory. So he was irresponsible. Then she was irresponsible. And the point is, we have these institutions in this country that are being run and handled irresponsibly. Oh, sorry. And. What? Finish your thought, and then I'll get to my oh. thought. Sorry. They're being run and handled irresponsibly, and they're harming people's lives, and that's the point. The point is to show the effects on Richard Jewell, and you can't show the effects if you're not showing how they're happening. That would be bad filmmaking and bad storytelling. And the media has to respond. The Atlanta Constitution Journal has to respond... Because they have to defend themselves, because that's what they're doing. Even if they weren't doing it in this instance, the media is always irresponsible in this way, and we've seen it time and time again. To put a metaphorical, uh, romantic point on it, Justin, isn't Clint Eastwood just literally showing how the media and government are in bed together? Yes, and that's what they don't want revealed. That's 100% what it is. And yes, I like your use of the term in bed together. You're welcome. That was my whole, yeah. Yeah, no, you're, you're yeah. 100% correct. And that's, John Hamm realizes, and they both, that's the best part about this Eastwood movie, okay? Is they're missing the forest for the trees. And what I mean by that is at the end of the movie, John Hamm tells Olivia Wilde to get lost. He goes, I don't know why I'm even talking to you. You think we work together. You think we're co-workers or something. We're not. And he leaves, and he's like, I'm done with you. Because they, they have a parallel scene, 
right? There was a scene where she seduces him and, and they go and they have sex. They don't show the sex. They just imply it. And then later they have a parallel scene in that same bar, which, you know, was shot on the same day or the same two days because of how shooting schedules work. And he's like, we're not even coworkers. Leave me alone. And he leaves her there. And then there's a scene later on where she realizes the damage she's done to Richard Jewell. When he gives his press conference, they show her there crying because she sees the damage that's been done to his mother as his mother breaks down during the press conference. So once the characters stop thinking on an institutional level and they stop thinking on an indi- they start thinking on an individual level and seeing how they're affecting each other, they have these realizations. So these people who are getting mad are missing the forest for the trees, which is ironic because aren't they telling us all the time that it's all about empathy and all about caring about other people and, and feeling for them? Well, they're the ones who aren't feeling for them by acting in these institutional ways. And that's the irony here. Fascinating. It's a, it's a great movie. I, I, I Go see it. I'm not even going to tell you not to see it. The only way you would not see it is if you're all social justice and woke. And then why are you listening to this podcast if you're social justice and woke? You wouldn't be. You wouldn't be this far into it. So if you're this far into this episode, go see the movie. Okay? You're going to enjoy it. Uh, it The theater was very sparse. There wasn't a lot of people. It was pretty empty. Uh, I was the only one, I think, who knew what the movie was going in because I was laughing at shit at the beginning. No one else was laughing at. Or I just had the humor of an 80-year-old white man. So, because I laugh at every Clint Eastwood movie when no one else is laughing. I'm like, why does no one else find this funny? So. All right. So we're going to end this episode by running through some trailers here. As always, the trailer takedown trailers are posted on the the website, midside.com, midside.com slash podcast on Saturday mornings. Listen to them in whatever order you choose. But just make sure you're listening to or watch them in whatever order you choose. Just make sure you're going there to watch the trailers. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Promising Young Woman is a story that I think was ripped off of somebody I know. Uh, This woman who was in my web series did a movie called MFA where... A, care, a woman was raped on a college campus and then she goes around like killing all the, the murder, the rapists on the campus who were never uh, punished. And I think that's the same movie here where this woman <laughs> promising young woman seems like she was a promising young woman. And then a man mistreated her, raped her, and they never did anything about it. So then she just treats men like shit her whole life. I mean, this did look like the cast was pretty decent, but Jesus fucking Christ, I just want to know how much of William's social justice detective went off, because he's very good at, like, finding social justice in this movie. Was he just like, were you just overloaded, William? <laughs> so obviously this is a uh, this is a tackle. Tackle. Uh, William's social justice-ometer was just like a Geiger counter that instead of doing the ticking was just a, a solid sound with no <laughs> distinguishable ticks. Um. Uh, geez, man, this is, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Toxic femininity, the movie. And no, thank you, ma'am. Tackle. Tackle? Yeah, uh, so, you know, I have tinnitus in my left ear, and while trying to watch this trailer, I had tinnitus in my right ear as well. It's just a constant (laughs) ringing of social justice. 
Yeah, this this movie does not look entertaining. Um, although this might be a great movie uh, if we ever got uh, the three of us together, we'd get uh, we'd have uh, Justin Splurge and drink a, a, a Coca Cola while uh, uh, Daniel and Cherry I, Coke. Thank you. Uh, while Daniel and I uh, enjoy some bourbon cocktails and just like Mystery Science Theater, this movie that would be fun. <laughs> but otherwise, tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. In the Heights is a musical by the guy who did Hamilton. Uh, his name's escaping me right now. What's his name? Lynn Manuel Miranda. That's it. Miranda Memorandum. Lynn Manuel yes. Memorandum. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it's about uh, what happens in Brooklyn Heights. I think it is. I don't know. Look, this. Look. I didn't hate this, right? At the beginning, I was like, hey, this is pretty good. I like the aesthetic. I like the style. The music's decent. Pause. Pause. Was there one particular moment where you were like, okay, I'm out now? Because there was for me. Uh, it is. I don't remember what it was because I flushed it from my memory, but it, there was like a minute and 45 okay, seconds I'll into the trailer it, but, or something. Yeah. And it was like, oh, we're taking a hard turn to social justice at this point. And I was like, why'd you have to do that to me? It's like, we've been dating for like three months and like everything's going well. And then you're like, Tom Brady's fucking evil. I'm like, where'd that come from? Couldn't have like revealed that in the beginning. You had to like seduce me for like the first minute and 45 seconds. So look, I'm not going to critique the aesthetic. I'm not going to critique the, the acting. Uh, it's, it's, oh, it's by the guy who John Chu, who directed uh, crazy rich Asians, which that's probably why it looks good. That movie looked good too. Um, Lin-Manuel memorandum clearly knows how to write a musical. The guy clearly has talent. I'm not going to critique any of that. I'm just going to say, why'd you have to take the hard left of social justice there? Tackle. Tackle. Go ahead, Daniel. Such a very similar reaction to yours. I was watching and I thought, well, I hate rap, but this seems fine. Uh, we need more. We, we need more modern musicals. Uh, I like that. It seems up, upbeat and optimistic. Yeah. And it's not like, yeah, naturalistic. Dream. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then this guy comes on screen and goes, they're deporting all the dreamers. We've got well, to do something it. about yeah. it. I was like, fuck you. Why? And out Why? loud, I went up. Oh, I'm done. That was I'm it. Done. I remember I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, fucking Obama. He used one goddamn <laughs> word to describe one piece of legislation. Now we got a whole goddamn fucking movie about it. We've got people who literally believe anyone who's an immigrant is a dreamer and the rest of us aren't fucking dreamers. It's just like, oh, my God. Uh, so, <laughs> so so uh, this wouldn't be as good for our, our show, William, but I think uh, Mystery Romantic Theater 300 would be a great uh we could maybe do this one too sometime oh anyway. 300 i see what yeah. you did there mystery romantic theater 300 um tackle Ugh, tackle well yeah i can't i can't add matt much more to that but i'm happy about this new show idea for 2020 tackle tackle third trailer Wonder Woman 1984 is the sequel to Wonder Woman, set in 1984. What? In the movie, Wonder Woman is in 1984 and does things. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't really know what else happened in this trailer besides the fact that it was in 1984 and the aesthetic really showed that off. Uh, one thing really uh, worries me about this trailer very much. It could be nothing. It could be uh, it could be really, really bad. I'm sure we'll see what William's social justice detector did, because when Wonder Woman starts the trailer, it's like, you don't know what it's like to be me. And then at the end, she's like, greatness isn't what you think it is. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Ugh. We're going to undermine everything Zack Snyder did. Ugh. So, look, here's the real thing. I don't care. All right, I'm so done with this DC shit. Maybe I'm just too deep in the Snyder Cut. I don't hate this. It doesn't look bad. I don't begrudge anyone who wants to see this unless William has his social justice point, in which case don't see it, any of you. But um, I it just, I don't care. The, remember, Daniel, we talked about, and William, we talked about at the beginning with like being like our anxiety. I don't have anxiety anymore. It's just like, I'm just going to see what I want to see. All right, I want to see Jumanji the next level. All right, I don't need to see this. So for me... Honestly, if I'm ever going to see this, this is it depends on what's out around it, but this is a tackle. Wow. Tackle. Daniel. Man, <laughs> your threshold has has gone up quite a bit even over this year. Um, you know the number of movies I've seen this year that I'm just like, why am I watching this? Look, for me, the reason to see this is Gal Gadot in that white dress and then also scenes of her destroying the District of Columbia. Which is fantastic. I love it all. She's in the White House kicking ass. Uh, I'm going to see it for those reasons. Hug. Mm, hug. Appropriate. William? Yeah, I think because my social justice meter went so far on the first two movies, uh, I wasn't properly calibrated for this one. So I can't definitively call how much social justice will be in this movie. I have a feeling it will be in there, though. That being said, this looks fun. There's guns. There's explosions. There's Gal Gadot. So here we go. I'll hug it. Hug. Final trailer. Ghostbusters Afterlife is the the long-rumored Ghostbusters 3 movie we've been waiting for forever that looks nothing like a Ghostbusters movie. So in this movie, the kid from Stranger Things, and also from It, is the kid from Stranger Things and the kid from It, and they're living in some weird town where Paul Rudd is their dad, and then him and his siblings discover things from the original Ghostbusters, most... Noticeably, the Ectomobile, or whatever the fuck it's called. I don't even know. I don't understand this trailer, okay? I do not understand this show. I don't understand why the fucking, like, wasn't Ghostbusters set in New York City, and isn't this trailer in, like, fucking Iowa? How does the shit from Ghostbusters get to Iowa? Can somebody explain that to me? Is there a portal or some shit? I don't understand this at all. Look, all I know is, I didn't, I tackled the other three trailers. This is Ghostbusters, which is one of the greatest movies of all time, and Ghostbusters 2 is good, too. It's Paul Rudd. I'm a sucker, and I have to hug something. So even though none of this makes any fucking shit sense to me, it seems like they're just trying to do, like, Stranger Things for Ghostbusters, I'm still going to see this. Hug. Hug. Daniel? I think I'm a little more optimistic about it than you are, because I think this is a trailer to tease that some of the original cast are going to be in it, right? Oh, yeah, it's starring the original cast. 
Yeah, so I think all that'll be explained. I think it's it's it looks good and it seems to be an enormous apology after the reboot. With all the, I can all do female. is look at what's there, okay? And what I'm saying is what's there doesn't make any fucking sense. What does Paul Rudd have to do with anything? <laughs> oh my god, a new actor. Um, <laughs> anything but that. I'm, being uh, I'm optimistic. I'm going to tentatively hug this. That's two this week. Hug? William? So, I have one nitpick. Well, two, really. First one... Where's the comedy? Not really in the preview. Maybe it's Paul like you Rudd. said, it's, it's just automatically a, funny. A tease. So okay. The other one. Did anyone else get bothered by the speech, the voiceover speech? Because that was said as a joke, right? At the beginning hmm. of the first Ghost, Ghostbusters. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The the whole pep talk was said in jest at the beginning and now it's sort of being said seriously and that knocked me a little bit so those are my two little nitpicks that being said this will be light years better than ghostbusters 2016 so you know i'll give it a chance i'll give it a hug netflix and hug Look, dude, the Patriots played better against the Texans and the Ravens than the quality of Ghostbusters 2016. That's how bad that movie was. <laughs> wow, no Belichick or premises this week, but uh, still got that in there, huh? Yeah, that's why I did that. So let's uh, let's wrap this episode up. Let's put a bow on it. What did we learn this week? William? Well, I learned that uh, we can make history fit our narrative just with a little bit of Photoshop action. Daniel? I learned that when we, when we go to Baskin-Robbins, we're tyrannized by choice. Justin, what did you learn? Uh, I learned that people apparently took DuckTales literally when they said rewrite history. <laughs> Woo! We hope you learned something this week. If you did, tell us on all the social medias at the midside. But... More important than that, go to themidside.com slash podcast and listen to past episodes. Get ready for the end of the year show by going back and revisiting some of the farcical news that we covered this year, some of the things we reviewed this year, etc. While you're there, pick up your midside swag, probably not in time for Christmas, but maybe in time for like Epiphany or something, you know. So get that over at themidside.com slash store. Uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Google Play to get these delivered to you the moment they are published on Midside Monday. While you're there, leave us a five-star review. I was reading some of the five-star reviews recently, and man, I started to blush at how nice they were. About the quality of the show, we are averaging five out of five stars. So let's keep that up. Go there and give us a five-star review. And uh, thanks to Liberty.me for syndicating us across your libertarian network. Libertarians represent... Uh, what else we got? Patreon.com slash the midside where you can go and give us a couple bucks every time we produce a piece of content. There may be a Patreon exclusive piece of content coming out in the future on the rise of Skywalker, depending on its goodness. So look, be on the lookout for that. No, I want to really... rip on it even if it sucks. There'll be an episode. <laughs> it's just when Daniel sees the movie. <laughs> and we really appreciate our Patreon subscribers. Helps us keep the lights on. If you can't do that, there's one thing you can do, I know, unless you're a hermit like Justin, and that's go tell your friends about the show, because your friends need to know 
about what it is that goes on here in the Midsite every week. We are revolutionizing the way we talk about culture, politics, art, and uh, fart jokes or something. I don't know. I, had, I didn't have a fourth thing geared up there. I should have stopped at three. So please tell your friends. And until next time, we love you. This concludes your journey into the Midside. I'm Justin Emblensneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Please do not have a queer day. What's the over-under on the number of movies Eastwood's got remaining? Because I'd like, like, a, a Mueller investigation movie. That'd be fun. Kavanaugh nomination movie? <laughs> Expose on Christine Blasey Ford. <laughs>